Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have sent me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, just going to put the usual plugs in here right away. I have a Patreon account if you want to support this channel and help me out with uh, keeping the lights on and the show going here. I also have a book called Scientology A to Zenu, an insider's guide to what Scientology is really all about. That is available on Amazon, link below. I also have merchandise for sale, link below, at shop.spreadshirt.com slash Chris Shelton. Uh, and, of course, uh, we have the Great Courses Plus sponsor for this channel, and um, that's kind of what's going on here. So check the links in the description below uh, when you come and check my videos, because I've always put those things there. And I just wanted to kind of run through that litany, because I've come to realize from comments I've received recently that people who come to this channel do not always know that I have all of those things available for you guys. So I have to plug them. So there you go. All right, now let's, we got some great questions this week. I hope you guys were able to check out my podcast this week with uh, Owen Morgan, i.e. Telltale Atheist. We had a really great and very interesting conversation, I thought, if I say so myself, of course, about religion and some ideas and, and uh, things about that. And it went right into... Uh, talking about tolerance and, and communicating with people and, you know, bringing the temperature down, not raising it up, and that kind of thing. So I, th I thought we did a pretty good podcast, and I hope you guys will check it out. Now, we've got some pretty good questions this week. Let's check them out. Kevin Zay, what are your thoughts on people who leave cults or other high-control groups, but then get involved in New Age stuff or other woo? Thanks for the question, Kevin. I used to have a harsher view of this than I do now in terms of the per person's individual belief. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm still, you know, uh, just uh, I get really, really pissed off when I contemplate or start thinking about people who are being taken advantage of by, you know, goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle nonsense and other such just insanely stupid stuff that people get themselves wrapped up in it. But the reason why I say I used to have a harsher, you know, as though that's not harsh enough, idea about this is because I used to kind of come down on people for falling for that sort of thing. And of course, now that I've gone through everything I have and, and understand people from a much, much different perspective than I used to, then it makes more sense to me why people would go from one cult to another or one, you know, high control con job to another, right? And it has to do with the fact that people are seeking answers or solutions to problems that they have. And if they don't find it in one group, that doesn't necessarily mean that the questions or problems have gone away. Uh, or, of course, new ones can crop up as we get older, as we go through life, as we experience the stresses and traumas and ups and downs and losses uh, that life brings us. And it is pretty random and it is pretty chaotic and it is pretty much out of our control in many, many ways. And we seek and want control in our lives, obviously. We want to be able to predict the events of our own future 
We want to be able to understand why things happen to us. We want to understand why the world is the way that it is when we reach out and think about other people besides just ourselves. Let's face it, you know, we occupy most of our thinking. <laughs> but, you know, but we honestly, you know, there are there there is there is altruism and there is there is uh, you know, community and all that. So, um, so those problems or those stresses or those concerns that people have, you know, you go into, I, I go into Scientology and I spend all these years in Scientology and I have this whole cosmology worked out and I know that I'm not going to die and everything's going to be fine and, you know, I'll just throw myself out here as an example. And, um, and then I leave Scientology, I found out everything L. Ron Hubbard said was just total, you know, horseshit. And that I don't, those beliefs that I had maybe aren't based on anything real. And maybe that's not real, and maybe that's not how things actually are. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I told myself very, in no uncertain terms, after I got out of that and saw it for what it was, saw that I had been deceived as actively and as proactively as I had been, um, I determined, I told myself, I am not going to go from one cult to another. I'm not doing it. I, there's no way. I'm going to make sure that this never happens to me again. And it's, that's where, that's how I got into, you know, then landed on critical thinking and, and my whole world was rocked. A lot of people don't do that. They don't make that decision or they don't realize that that is a, a potential outcome. You know, they leave this high control group and they think, oh God, you know, I'm, I'm finally away from that abusive situation. Where can I go to get some help? You know, where can I go to get um, my problems resolved? And they end up going into, you know, something else. And you mentioned uh, new age stuff or other woo. You know, woo is a term that describes all the pseudoscience, all the Deepak Chopra crap, all of the uh, Gwyneth Paltrow stuff. It's a broad spectrum of you know, questionable methods, unscientific, um, you know, pseudoscience, uh, you know, sort of faux science claims that get made by these groups uh, or these individuals, and they uh, almost universally are profiting off of these claims. They want to sell you something, right? And what I have come to um, learn that I think I could pass on in answer to this question about, you know, um, how to avoid this kind of thing in a, in a general sense, like what, what kind of rule or what sort of principle could people adopt that might keep them from, you know, cult jumping uh, or, you know, being taken advantage of. And I think the, I think the thing that occurs to me on this is uh, to say that knowledge is, for the most part, free. Um, and knowledge is what sets you free. Knowledge is what gives you the power to understand yourself. You know, it, they, they understand, I should say the understanding that you can gain from knowledge is empowering. It, it, it is where, you know, your, your power in, uh, comes from. So, so I have done a lot of learning uh, over these last years, and it's not been um, easy or fast. I'm still mid-process on a lot of stuff, but... All the things I have learned have been for free. I didn't go back to college. I didn't go. I, I'm not poo-pooing college. I'm not saying college is another high control group, but I am saying that I didn't do that. 
I didn't have to, I didn't have the money to go do that. I, I, you know, I'd be kind of nice. I'd love to go get some letters after my name, but I, I have a channel and I have a life and, and so that didn't end up being practical for that. But that didn't stop me from pursuing knowledge. Uh, through books, through videos, through podcasts. I mean, there through Great Courses Plus. I mean, there's all kinds of knowledge points out there that you can take advantage of that don't cost a lot of money or don't cost any money. And um, and it's sort of you know you could call you can call it poor man's recovery or therapy or something, but I really can't push education enough. Um, and I think it's the solution to this particular problem of cult hopping. And I think it's a solution to many other problems. So, um, you know, you don't necessarily, you can't necessarily educate yourself out of a PTSD situation or out of depression or something like that. But then again, education can have a profound effect on a person's, and I speak from personal experience, can have a profound effect on understanding the stresses and traumas that created PTSD situation or that create depressive episodes. So, uh, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say that it's the, you know, 100% universal solution for all problems ever, but I am gonna say that it gets devalued way more than it is recognized as the, you know, empowering agent that it can be. So, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there too. Thanks for the question, Kevin. I hope, uh, I hope this answer uh, helped out. Todd Hampton, what is a TV show or film that is universally loved? but you yourself, for some reason, do not enjoy. For me, it's Friends, Lost, and Breaking Bad. Thank you for all your content you release and all the hard work that you do. Hey, you're welcome, Todd. Thanks for the question. This is kind of fun. Um, of course, I'm going to disagree with you on Breaking Bad because in my oh-so-humble opinion, uh, Breaking Bad is, is, is the best television ever. I, I think that's, that particular show was... Was, uh, was top of the line, but I get it's not for everybody, so fair enough. For me, I'm probably going to get hate for what I'm about to say, but these are the shows that, uh, that I just could never get behind, never had any interest in binge-watching after watching a season or half a season or whatever. Uh, I gave all these shows a fair shake, and they just didn't really come out for me, and that starts with Big Bang Theory. Absolutely hated it. Uh, watched the first couple seasons, really tried to give it a, uh, an honest go, and it just did not find it funny. I found it extremely stereotypical. I'm not going to say that I found it offensive, because uh, that's a bit ridiculous, but I did not relate in any way to any of the characters. I thought they were um, some non-geeky ideas uh, or stereotype, stereotypes of, of what geeks and nerds and smart people and, and you know, physicists and stuff are like, I've met those people, I know how nerdy and geeky they can be, um, but, you know, Big Bang just didn't do it. Uh, anything having to do with the Kardashians, and I don't know that the Kardashians are fall under the universally loved, <laughs> um, so I, you know, but I just, I'll throw that out there because uh, the Kardashians I have zero patience for. Um, every single time I have spent any number of minutes watching uh, them while between other shows or just because it happened to be on the screen at the time, I felt dumber afterwards. Uh, so, yeah, I just can't deal with Kardashians. I don't want to keep up with them. Uh, okay, Firefly. I know I'm going to get hate for this one, but I didn't really like it. 
Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that Joss Whedon is, is, is an exaggerated talent. I think the man is a walking talent machine. I think he does have some amazingly good ideas. And he just rocked my universe with the Avengers uh, movies that he worked on. But I was just never impressed with Firefly. I watched the entire thing. I watched the movie. I, I, you know, I've seen everything you can see with Firefly. And that's, that is the, the thing. And, um, and I just never really got behind it. Kind of the same thing. The next one is with The Walking Dead. Um, gave it a re I really wanted to like it. I did like the first few episodes. Um, they were they were kind of scary. They were tense. They were kind of amazing. Uh, well shot. That was Frank Darabont's uh, doing. Um, and and he you know the guy knows how to make good films. So um, so I but but the. But after that, after the first few episodes and where things went and how, and I know it was following the comics and I understand the comics are very dark and have been painted this picture of the world in a post-apocalyptic, you know, zombie apocalypse situation. Um, I don't happen to think the world would look anything like what they show in The Walking Dead. I think it would. I think the world would be a vastly different place from what it shows there, and um, and I can talk about that at length if anybody really cares at some point. But I won't do that right now. I'm just going to say that I have. I'm so throw. I can't suspend disbelief long enough to watch the show and take it seriously. The characters are not particularly compelling to me, and um, and after I think it's season four, maybe five. I think four. Um, I, I, I realized that it had just become torture porn and uh, just watching people die and much beloved characters get killed and always being on edge. And, and it became like I realized that this was a show that seemed to specialize in raising people's stress levels. And I don't think that over is very healthy over a long period of time, especially in something that's supposed to entertain you. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm out on The Walking Dead. I have two more. Uh, this is Us. I have no idea why anybody likes that show. It's beyond my any imagination that I have. Uh, I just can't get in any headspace where This Is Us is a good show. <laughs> and uh, NCIS uh, has always escaped me how anybody... Yeah, I have a real chip on my shoulder about all crime procedurals these days. Uh, have for a very, very long time. I think they're disgustingly unrealistic. But NCIS in particular, I've watched many episodes of it and have never, ever been happy with myself for doing so. So uh, so there's my longer than you probably asked for or expected or anybody wanted to hear list of some of the shows that I don't like. <laughs> Cyprian Ivanov. What do you think of Vokes versus Arthur Murray, Inc., 1968, where a dance school cajoled an elderly woman into spending over $31,000 through false praise, awards, and trips to other school locations? Does your time in Scientology offer any additional insight into the dynamics of the situation? Hey, Cyprian, thanks. I actually uh, printed out and looked this case over, and uh, of course, you and I had some had a little discussion about it through email. Uh, and this is a very interesting point, and I was actually quite intrigued by the case law aspect of this because this was a case again from 1968, where basically an old woman got love bombed. And that's kind of what we use, that's kind of how we describe this whole process, or at least how I've thought of it. I know love bombing is a very specific thing where you have a person and people come and just flow admiration and love and happiness at this person. And it can be a very acute 
instance of it, but there can also be kind of a chronic, long, longer-term situation of love bombing, and this is associated with sales, and this is heart and soul of how Scientology operates. So I was quite intrigued by this case and the fact that, it, that she had taken this Arthur Murray dance studio to court uh, for fraud. And at first it got thrown out by the trial court because they said there's no cause of action here. You know, you, you, you bought stuff, you, you signed contracts, you know, this is this, you paid the money, you know, uh, whatever that expression is for uh, let the buyer beware, right? Cavier and poor or whatever. So, um, uh, okay, so, sh but the, the appeals court said, no, this case needs to be looked at. Now, I couldn't find what the final verdict on the fraud ended up being, but the fact, but the important part of the case law is that it was kicked back and said, no, this woman needs her day in court. This is uncool. And keep in mind that this woman paid over, over $31,000 in 1968 money. I mean, she really got taken advantage of badly. And she apparently came into the dance studio, you know, started doing some lessons, and within just a few lessons started getting pushed and uh, told how wonderful she was, how she was an above-average dancer, how this was so wonderful. And she kind of fell for it and kept buying and eventually bought this huge package of over a thousand hours of of dance lessons, right? And she's 81 years old, right? So a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit much that this woman was was investing this much in it, but she was being encouraged and sold and told by people that, and this was important for the court, for the case law, she was being told how good she was and how she was going to get better and better by people who she believed were authority figures. Any objective look at this, and you would say, well, this is just a sales guy. This is just a dance instructor. These are not necessarily people who are, you know, high authorities in, um, in being able, in, in convincing this woman that she is indeed going to become a great dancer. Um, so, so, you know, so there wasn't really any, any objective authority there, but... She viewed them as authority figures, and there was money involved in the in these transactions. There was fiduciary responsibility, and so um, so this became a, a, a case of yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna try this under under as a fraud. Um, all of what I just said applies to every almost every single. Um, sales cycle or reg cycle, we would call them in Scientology. The regs were brilliant, and I was a reg for a while, so I'll throw myself in the in the mix here on this. That we learned how to um, be in ARC with our prospect. In other words, be you know understanding of them, listen carefully to everything they were saying, care about them, be very interested in them, you know, and really heavily encourage them to do the Scientology bridge. And we were helped in this by Hubbard defining hard sell, right? Hard sell is uh, getting people, you know, being ruthless about getting people to pay for and do the services that are going to rehabilitate them as a Thetan, right? We believed that this was an, 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 a game of eternity, and we were selling people the key to their eternity. So we were very, 
you know, hardcore about it. In fact, one time a drill that we did to practice the correct attitude, this was a recruitment and sales drill, um, and it was your, the, the situation we were presented with was your, your, your friend is a, a drug addict, your best friend has become a drug addict, and he is about to get on a bus, and you know that if he gets on that bus and goes off to wherever he's going, you're never going to see him again. He's going to die in the gutter because he's going off to New York or whatever, L.A. And, um, and you know it's now or never, right? So you got to convince this person right here, right now to not get on that bus. And that was the spirit with which we entered into doing these, these training sessions or drills. And at first, everybody was kind of treating it as like, you know, sort of a ho-hum. And the guy said, no, 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 stop. He goes, listen, you guys don't get this. This is life or death. That's what you need to be treating this as. So that was how we were trained. And we kept drilling and drilling and practicing and practicing until we really were quite hardcore about it. But when you're sitting down across from Mrs. Smith or Mr. Jones and you're going to sell them Scientology services, you can't sit there and talk to them as though they're about to die. So it becomes instead just part of your thinking and attitude and, and the level of intensity that you bring to the sales cycle. Um, but you also have to infuse this with a lot of kindness and happiness and, and the love bombing. You want to give them a lot, a lot, a lot of admiration. People love, love it when other people admire them. They, just, you, they become putty in your hands, you know, they really do. And they, and you, and you got to, of course, be able to do it without being false. It can't be false sincerity, right? You got to really mean it. And, you know, I didn't find as a, you know, when I was being a, a Scientology reg that this was incredibly hard to do um, because I was very serious about Scientology. So uh, these guys, you know, were obviously taking this old lady for a ride and a lot of the sales and, you know, the, the reg cycles that occur in Scientology are, be, are people being taken for a ride. I, you know, I was only a reg for about half a year. I don't remember taking anybody for a ride that way, um, certainly not knowingly, uh, but I did meet other regs who had. And, um, you know, that ha and as, as I, after I left Scientology, of course, I've heard or been told through email or direct con conversation with people of hundreds of instances of this since I've left, right? And it's just, it's gotten like so much worse. So that's how I, that's what are some comments on this and how it relates to Scientology. Gary Lulu. Some time ago, during your normal opening announcements for one of your videos, you had mentioned something quite awesome. You'd mentioned that you had completed a paper that was submitted for review to be published. What's the status with that? Were you able to get that essay published? If so, in what publication can we read it? Also, have you written anything else that is being considered for the same? Thank you for your time and keep on keeping on with your awesome work. Thanks, Gary. Um, that was the guy I had on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, okay, so I've written two, I've been in, involved in two papers that were written for uh, academic publication. And one of them was accepted. It has not been published yet that I know. I will check on this. And um, if I, if, if it has been published now, because I haven't been totally keeping up with it, then, um, then I'll get the link and I will post it in the description section below here. Um, but I don't, I don't think it has actually hit publication yet. And the other one, as far as I know, was, um, 
rejected for review for the publication we put it in, and I believe we were putting it into another one. And I might have that wrong, but that's what I remember from, from the things. Um, I was excited to have the opportunity to work with my, uh, my good friend John on both of those, and he was very, very helpful in, um, in getting those submitted and, and doing, the, doing some of the behind-the-scenes work that needed to be done to get those through uh, into and through review. So, um, so again, thank you, John, for, for your help with all of that, too. I just want to publicly acknowledge you for that. Kyle Howarth. Curious, how does the Church of Scientology logically reason out that the whole planet will be cleared if you have so many SPs? And if they don't come back to the fold, how do you get everyone? Hey, this is a good question because actually I don't know that I've explained this in quite some time and it kind of, uh, this will allow me to do this. What is clearing the planet? What does that mean for Scientologists? It doesn't mean that every single person has to become a Scientologist. Now, eventually, of course, that's what needs to happen. But clearing the planet has to do with a ratio. And that ratio is theta and theta. So theta is life force. Theta is life energy. It is not something that exists in the, in the messed universe, in the material universe. Messed is matter, energy, space, time. So I'm talking in Scientology terms right now with, with these explanations here. So the material or messed universe is matter, energy, space, and time. Theta is none of those things. Theta is a life force or entity uh, or a bunch of entities that exist outside of the reality of matter, energy, space, and time. Um, so theta is a general term for the total amount of, you know, freed up, useful, operational theta. Because there's also, that's contrasted with, n theta, or interbulated theta. And interbulated, I, I, I don't know if that was a coined term from Hubbard, but I've only ever heard it in, in, used in a Scientology context. Interbulated is stirred up, you know, riled up, messed up, it's, it, or, it's, or it's been solidified and hardened and, and made, you know, t uh, more dense and more solid and not useful, not able to be used. It's chaotic and random. So, um, uh, so, so N theta is the bad stuff. And when you, as a thetan, when you experience traumatic or stressful events, that you are, that what that means is the stress stays with you because some of your theta is twisted into this N theta. And this is the basis of what you're handling when you're doing Scientology auditing, is you are freeing N theta and making it, converting it back into theta. Okay, it's a really early principle of Dianetics and Scientology. In fact, this predates Scientology as a concept. This was originally a Dianetics idea from 1951. All of this stuff was, was described in the book Science and Survival. So Hubbard then ran with this, and that's where you get the idea of thetans and all that kind of stuff. All this goes back to your question because what Scientologists picture themselves doing is, is changing or, or flipping the theta and theta ratio. They want more theta and less n theta, but right now the n theta is winning. The n theta is on the heavy side of the scale, right? There's more n theta in our environment, and that's because 
of all of the reactive minds, all the stress and collected trauma and unconsciousness and pain uh, that's stored in people's minds. And also, of course, when you get to the OT levels, you learn about the body thetans, and that's just a whole nother level of N-theta because all these thetans have literally been converted into N-thetans, you know? They're body thetans. They're, they're immobile. They're useless, and they need to be freed from that situation. So, um, so clearing the planet means flipping that ratio. And the way Scientologists have communicated to themselves about how this is supposed to work is they're supposed to get 10,000 people auditing at one time on or 10, or 10,000 completions, either way. It's, it's gone one way or the other. So I'm just throwing this out to you as like what they say inside the church. It's a little confusing because Scientology is a little confusing. But they basically said 10,000 solo knots auditors. Uh, and solo knots is OT7 on the grade chart. Solo new aerodynamics for OTs. And this is, OT7 is the one that takes years and years to get through. And you go home and every day you're auditing yourself solo, freeing up these body thetans. And you do this four or five sessions a day if you can. And it takes years to get through. And they want 10,000 of these OT7. Uh, let's say they want 10,000 completions. Let's say that. Uh, well, they're a long way off from getting that. And that tells you exactly everything you need to know about the millions of Scientologists because it's another marker, right, that there aren't millions of them. But if they figure that if they get 10,000, that'll be enough to flip the switch, right? And boom, we'll have more theta than n theta. And that will result in clearing the planet. So, um, so those are all part of some of the internal calculations of Scientology. And, and these things come and go in stress and priority within the world of Scientology. You know, normally you're only hearing about this stuff at events where they're trying to sell people OT7, right? Um, you know, the lower level people don't put tons and tons of attention on this. This is mostly coming out of promotional and marketing materials or things that get said at events. But it's not like Scientologists have long, deep conversations, you know, contemplating these things. They just kind of mostly focus on themselves getting up the bridge and eventually they figure the planet will get handled or cleared at some point. So that's kind of how it works. Tyler Simmons. I see some destructive cult characteristics like an us versus them mentality in some entertainment franchises. For example, I'm a Super Mario fanboy and someone else who likes Sonic the Hedgehog starts calling me stupid or retarded for liking Mario and tells me if I don't like Sonic then I should die. I've seen some toxic fanboys and haters who fit the description of being in a destructive cult, such uh, as wanting characters and their artists to die in a fire or kill themselves or engage in doxing and cyberbullying. These are chess cartoons. Am I right to see this as cult-like behavior? In a word, yes, you are, but just because you have cult-like behavior doesn't mean you have a cult as such. Cults are a very specific thing. Online cults get to be a bit different, and I still, like I said, need, uh, the last time I brought this up, I said that this still needs more modeling and more study and work to be able to describe more fully what an online cult situation is. And I would, I would put a gaming world, you know, this kind of us versus them culty stuff that you see going on, I would frame it more that way than I would the abusive relationship 
destructive cult high control group that we traditionally have talked about here on this channel. I want to remind you though, and this is uh, for every human being everywhere in the world, that uh, cults are not doing things that we don't normally do anyway. The difference between what goes on in an authoritarian, high-controlled, destructive cult group and what goes on in the real world is not the actions that take place or the things that get said. It's the level at which they are said. It's the, it's the degree. And, you know, the, the cults, as I'm fond of saying, you know, dial that volume up to 11. Uh, in your day-to-day -day life, you are going to encounter Everywhere you go and in any subject or field you care to, to pursue, you're going to find us versus them thinking. You're going to find tribalism, right? The whole in-group, out-group thing, which is the us versus them. You're going to find um, people discouraging you from leaving the group. You're going to find resistance to ideas that are counter to what the group thinks or believes or, or propagates. Um, you know, you're going to find people who don't want to hear anything you have to say on anything other than that topic. And, and that's just people being people, right? When it becomes a situation where it is enforced on them to act that way, or they are unduly influenced into, or coerced, or deceived into, walking down this path of indoctrination, where the end result is they've dialed everything up to 11, that's where you have your destructive cult situation. And I don't think that's the case with people who are playing video games. However, what does occur to me is that there are these fanboys who, and fangirls, who can get into these online forums and they start riling each other up. And if somebody's instigating that or, or pushing that that happen or is trying to make that happen, uh, like as a premeditated purposeful action, then you have the markers of somebody acting as a bit of a cult leader there. But that would be a pretty specific situation versus just the broad general idea that, you know, teenagers or young people or anybody really uh, doesn't have their hormones go a little whack uh, when they're playing games and, and are in a comp, comp, you know, competitive environment as far as they're looking at things, and they need to make less of their enemies, uh, their perceived enemies, even if it's only a game, by making fun of them, ridiculing them, calling them names, all that. So this is pretty normal human behavior. I'm not saying it's ideal human behavior. I'm saying it's normal human behavior. And we have to account for that as well in what we run into and not accuse everybody of being in a cult because that's not the situation in the big wide world. And there you go. Uh, thanks for the question, Tyra. That was a good one. Okay, guys, that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and listening to me gab on about this. I hope you enjoyed my answers. I hope they were useful, educational, and entertaining. Um, I will see you guys next week. Please leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the comment section below, and I will see it. All right, guys. Bye-bye.